This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, uh, I'm starting a series for the month of January, and, and uh, it's going to be a series, if you saw, it's talking about spiritual discipline. And I tell you, I always preach about what God is putting me through. And God has given us such great vision, but He's saying, Mark, to, to run the race, you need to get in shape. And I, never mind, don't even go there. I, just, I know where most of y'all just went, but I'm talking spiritually, okay? Spiritually, to, to, to be in tune with God so that when He says go, we know that it's God, we know that it's His timing, we know that we have His grace upon it, and it wasn't just something that we made, made up ourselves. So we're going to be talking today about self-discipline, and, and uh, if you like, I pose for, for none of those, but um, I did make the slide. That was about as close as I got to the whole thing, but I'm going to be talking about self-discipline, and, and our first question is, how many of y'all made a New Year's resolution? I mean, come on, honestly, if you made a New Year's resolution, if you're not even ashamed of it, raise your hand, come on. All right, now how many of y'all made, you put those hands down, how many of y'all made New Year's resolutions last year? Okay, you remember them, okay? How many of y'all completed, now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on this one. How many of y'all completed those last year's resolutions, though? You see, there's a difference between starting and ending, and we're talking a little bit about that today, because as, as a church, there's sometimes the body of Christ starts things and they don't complete them. Because any time an attack comes or situations come, they stop, they pull back, they don't complete, they don't follow through. And God has given us the power and the strength and the ability, if we draw from Him, to do all things. I truly believe that all things are possible with God. It's just we're the weak link in that chain. Now, sometimes distractions come and we, we kind of tend away from that zealous moment that we said, God, I'm going to give you everything. And then in February, it's, God, I'm giving you 90% of me. And by March, it's, you got 68% of me, God, total 68%. And by June, July, and August, God, it's so hot. Just, you know, let's go 50-50 on this whole thing. And as the year weighs on, we're offering less and less. And whether it's just our, our time with God, whether it's our um, giving or, or the actions that we're doing for our neighbors and being outwardly focused, Throughout the year, it kind of dwindles down, and it all comes down to kind of self-discipline. Do you all remember what it was like to get your driver's license? Now, I want you to remember back. Now, I know it's been fresh for me because I've been through it in the last two years, but do you remember what it was like to get your driver's license? Do you remember that you had to study? Remember the booklet? I got the booklet from the state of Florida. I memorized the whole thing. I knew how many inches a tractor trailer light had to be from the back. That wasn't even on the test. I was so mad. I was ready for that. They give you semi-tractor trailer facts in this book down in Florida. And I studied it. I knew the whole thing. I was ready to go in and take the whole test. And the one thing that I missed was this. It says, when it's raining, do you drive with your high beams, low beams, or parking lights? And I'm like, that wasn't in the book. And my dad always drove with his parking lights, so I put parking lights. It's low beams. You know, I was like so disappointed. That was the only thing I missed on that test. But when I got my driver's license, I realized that I had control of this 2,000-pound monster now. I was in control. It was going to go where I wanted it to go. It was going to do what I wanted it to do most of the time. You see? And... Especially, this is probably a guy thing, the bigger the engine, the more we feel like we have power and authority. You know what I mean? Now, I'm going to tell you, my first car, 
was a Red Rambler, okay? About a 1968 Red Rambler station wagon. Not necessarily a pickup mobile, okay? You know what I mean? Good thing God gave me a personality because that car didn't do anything. But on the side of the car, it had the numbers 464 on it. Now, if you opened up the hood, there was just this little straight six. I mean, that thing was one step up from a sewing machine. I think Singer made the machine that went in, the, the motor that went in it, so there was no power behind this. But man, when guys would pull up and say, is that got a 464? I said, says it right there. It must have been the model or whatever, but you know, as a guy, I wanted that, that feeling of, I have control over this thing. It was a red rambler, but that was my red rambler, you know, station wagon. And as you go through life, you realize that you have control over this vehicle, but every once in a while, you can lose control. I uh, was driving back from Atlanta, and I was heading down to Orlando on I-75 one day. And if you've ever lived in Florida, you get rainstorms every afternoon. If you've ever been to Disney World, about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, it's going to rain. And I'm driving in one of these heavy rainstorms, and I'm in a little pickup truck, and uh, there was too much water on the road, and what I thought I had control of all of a sudden went out of control and started spinning at 65, 70 miles an hour. And I remember just seeing a car, a car, a car. It was just like, so I, I laid my head down and just started saying Jesus, okay? I mean, I did two things right. It was interesting because it used to have a split back window. You know, on a pickup truck, you can open up that back window. And I went down an embankment, off the highway, down this really steep embankment. I went, between, I went so close to a tree that it pulled my bumper off but never touched my truck. My bumper was sticking out like this. And when I lay down, I looked up, a branch came right through that little tiny open window that was right behind me. There was no damage to me and no damage to the truck. I was shaking like a leaf on that tree, but you know, I was scared to death because something that I thought I had control of went out of control. And sometimes there's things in our lives that we feel that we have control over, and when you are going through one of those out-of-control seasons, it's very scary. And really what you should be doing is what I not lay down, but just start saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You see, because I truly believe that it could have flipped. I could have done more over that embankment. I came out without a scratch. In fact, when I got home, my dad just pulled the truck up against a tree and pushed, and the bumper went back in place, and you know we were redneck good to go. Okay, You know what I mean? So it was perfect. You know, I mean, it was good enough for that. So the point being, though, is there are times when, in our lives where things are going to be out of control. And it's nice to be in control of ourselves and feel that we have control of ourselves. And Proverbs 16.32 tells us this. It says, Better to get angry slowly than to be a hero, and better to be even-tempered than to capture a city. And what that's saying is it's great to have great power, but if, if you can't conquer yourself, there's no need to even be going in thinking about conquering a city. Being even-tempered, having control, not flowing with your emotions, not giving everyone a piece of your mind just because they deserve it, or not just allowing the day's circumstances to rule your life. To truly get up every morning, no matter how you're feeling, and say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So it's important that we set the tone for the day and not let the day set the tone for our lives. Because there's so many times we wake up and we start thinking about everything that we have to do that day. And all of a sudden you can feel a heaviness. Have you ever felt like something you know that's going to happen that day and it starts coming in a heaviness and you can almost feel like, man, this day is taking over me. And that's when I have to start saying the Word of God. I start declaring that this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice. 
If it's financial, I say, thank you, Lord, that you are my source. You are my strength. What God spoke to me over our finances to say, even in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God is the person who gives you your daily bread, not your employer. You understand that. So I start going through and I start speaking the word to take control of that day. But conquering a city is nothing compared to conquering the habits that enslave us. And controlling an automobile is nothing controlling our temper or our tongue. So I have just a few points I want to go over about self-discipline because it's really a cornerstone of what I'm going to be speaking over the next few weeks, especially in our spiritual discipline. But today the first point is what is self-discipline? And if you think about self-discipline, to a child in my household growing up, it meant getting a whipping. When you said the word discipline, man, there were words that my mom said that brought fear to my life. It was, wait till your father gets home. Okay, This could happen early in the morning and all day long there was a heaviness over me because I knew that when my dad got home... And let me kind of tell you the whole scenario. My dad would drive up, I'd hear the car, I'd go to my room. Then he would knock on the door and say, Mark, I need to talk to you. I knew we weren't going to talk. I mean, you know, this was pretty routine by then. And he'd come in and we would talk sometimes, but mostly I got a whipping. Then I got a little older and I started realizing that if I stood at the dining room table and had the whole table between us, I said, Dad, let's talk this way. And he would walk this way and I'd walk that way. And then we'd walk this way. And it was almost like this serenading dance that this father-son, it was like this ritual, you know. And I'm thinking the longer that I can stall, the least he's going to hurt me, okay. And then he says, you know what, Mark, the longer I stand and do this, the harder you're going to get it. I'm probably 10, 11, 12, and I'm having to contemplate these things. Do I weigh the, the time and issue, or do I get this thing over with? And then I just started saying, Dad, you know I love you. I, I, you know, <laughs> I love you, Dad. I didn't know to cry out for mercy. See, that was what Austin learned. Austin learned, Dad, would you have mercy on me? <laughs> Man, you talk about taking the air out of a, a balloon real quickly, and I'm like, okay. To a soldier, though, when you say discipline, it means the strictness of the army or the Navy, or the Air Force, and the Marines, or Coast Guards. It talks about KP duty when you don't follow those rules. Reveille, real early on an early morning. Those are all forms of discipline. When I talk about discipline in your workplace, there's this beautiful thing we have with the company I work for. It's called our employee manual. And this employee manual is a thick book. And it has every situation of a way an employee should respond. And it tells us how to respond and how not to respond, and what is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable behavior. And then there's this little tiny chapter in there that says, if you break all these rules, these are the bad things that are going to happen to you. And that's what really gets your attention. I mean, horrible things, you know. Man, I mean, flogging. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's so many things, and, and I'm reading through this, and I'm, we have to review it every once in a while. So yes, we, re- we read it, we review it. But the thing of it is, is what they're trying to talk about And all of these is what's called imposed discipline. Imposed discipline is a group or a person or a group of persons that is putting rules and regulations over you. So as a parent, I'm saying, don't do this or this is going to happen. Well, that's what the kid wants to do. But as a dad, I'm saying, this is not what you should be doing. In the military, the army is saying, if you do this, you're going to be punished. But the soldiers may say, but we want to do what we want to do. It's imposed discipline. As an employee, you may think, I want to do whatever I want to do, say whatever I want to say, come and go as I'd like to go. I'd like to have anything on my cubicle or office. It's not going to happen because they have rules and guidelines for imposed discipline. And it's nice to have imposed discipline, 
but there are limitations to the imposed discipline. Because we can't live our whole life under those rules. Do you understand? There's not somebody telling you every day what you should and shouldn't do. If you wanted to impose discipline, then if you have a problem overeating, then what you've got to do is you've got to get a big chain and a big padlock and you lock that and then you tell a person you trust, only open this refrigerator for five minutes during the day and after that five minutes, close it and I will consume all that I can during that five minutes and there will be no grace, no mercy. That's imposed discipline. If you have a problem speeding, you know, you got a lead foot, you can actually put what's called a governor on your engine. And a governor is kind of like a leash. It's going to hold you back. It's not going to allow you to excel beyond a certain miles, you know, 55 or 60 miles an hour. Once again, though, that's imposed discipline. So what we're really talking about today, though, is self-discipline. It's real interesting because our dog loves to go for walks. And when you put him on the leash, man, he wants to go over here and he wants to go over here. And then there's times when we're going for walks. I know where there's some areas that there are sand spurs, and man, he would just walk through that, and he would get full and covered with sand spurs. So we try to control this. And sometimes I think that our walk with God is like we're on this leash, and, and, and the leash, though, is, is the way of protecting us, but it's because we're not obedient to stay right there with Him. There are times where I'll see somebody going for a walk down a fairly busy road, and their dog is right there. Not on a leash. Because that dog has been trained to stay right by the master. It's not going to dart out into traffic. It's not going to chase squirrels or cats or dogs. It knows to stay right there. And I think that's the very highest form of flattery for a dog is when you can take that dog for a walk and you don't have to worry and fight the whole time. Yesterday we saw a young lady walking this little puff of a dog and this dog was just trying to go everywhere because it was like its own nature was saying, I want to be in control. But as long as that dog is on a leash, that dog is not in control. Do you understand that? The master is in control. But when that dog has proven itself that it can stay faithful and it will not be distracted, and the reason why you want that dog to be beside yourself is because if you are walking near traffic, you're protecting that dog. I would not want my dog to run out in traffic. I would not want my dog to run after we have a boxer and a Doberman on our street. Our dog is six pounds, but he thinks he's about 60 pounds. And when he runs out, he runs out with such ferociousness. They, they see him as an hors d'oeuvre, okay? But he's going out there like, who's in my yard? You know, and you ought to see the boldness. I call him our mighty dog of valor because he runs out in the yard with this, the, just this boldness that if there's anything in this yard, you're mine. And, you know, one time I stuck this fake deer out there. And he walked out and it freaked him out because this deer was just like, you know, he wasn't expecting, he used to squirrels or birds, but this deer was like, it froze him in his tracks. So it's, an, it's important that we understand the need for self-discipline because we can't live our whole life in imposed discipline. What do I mean by this? It's, it's saying with self-discipline, this is what the Word of God is using when we come to this term. It's called self-control. Self-control is self-discipline. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be looking at multiple scriptures today, but Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us this. This is actually self-control is, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It says, but the Spirit nature produces love. You know, I've I got to stop right there because everything begins with love. 
For God so loved the world. Okay, when we're going through this list, I just want you to know, everything begins with love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If we just did a study on love, love covers a multitude of sins. They'll know us as Christians by our love. Everything begins with love. And if you see the fruits of the Spirit, it says, the Spirit nature produces what? What was the first thing the Spirit nature produces? Love. From that, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are no laws against things like that. And if you read the passage, it's saying, you know, if you're walking in love, goodness, graciousness, peacefulness, patience, self-control, have at it. The whole world's yours. If you decide that you're going to walk in some things that are not of the fruit of the Spirit, there are laws against that, spiritual and physical. But all of these features here in the gifts, fruits of the Spirit, there are no laws against that. 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 6 tells us this also. Because of this, make every effort to add integrity to your faith. And to integrity, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, add endurance. And to endurance, add godliness. So self-control is extremely important. Because we don't have somebody telling us all the time what we should and shouldn't do. As a church, we don't say, everyone this week, raise your hand, you will read the Bible exactly 2.5 hours this week. See, now all of a sudden we became imposed discipline. Self-discipline is saying, am I reading the Word of God? As a church, we don't tell you, this is how much money you're going to give this year to the church. And we're going to send you gentle reminders each month in the form of an envelope, which is already made out for you, because you know really what that is? That is imposed discipline. God loves a cheerful giver. I got one amen out of that. Thanks, you man. God loves a cheerful giver. And so, there you, wow, you guys pick up fast on that. The point being, though, is there's not somebody telling you, you need to spend more time with God. You need to spend more time in worship. You need to be giving this. You need to be doing this for your neighbors. We don't have that in our lives. So where does that discipline have to come from? Ourselves. Through self-discipline. So that we can understand what we should be doing, what we should be involved with, activities. Things that we're watching on TV come down to self-discipline. I don't know if you've ever read a Facebook page, but man, there's, there's times people will be writing, God is doing so much in my life. God is great. God is good. Let us think for this food. But you know, there's just so many things that they're going through and they're writing all this and then they're saying, can't wait for the movie to open tonight at midnight. Vampires versus demons. I'm going to love to be there. Blood, 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 blood. And I'm like, what did that just do to your whole testimony? Vampires versus demons, that's what you're going to fill your mind with when you're trying to tell me that God is good and God is great and all this thing and He's doing this? It's self-discipline. And nobody's there saying you should or shouldn't go to see this. When you're on the computer and something pops up, there's no one right there to tell you you should not be seeing this. This is going to destroy your life. This is going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your reputation. When we have to make decisions at work, man, this would be the profitable way to go, but I really feel this is the way that we should. It's self-discipline that is determining the decisions that we make. In fact, it's a level of maturity as Christians that we have is helping us make those decisions. 
Because I'm going to tell you, every day you're going to face decisions. Every day. You've already made multiple decisions today. Am I going to get out of this warm, comfortable bed and go to church? If I am, what am I going to wear? If I go, am I going to sing or not sing? Am I going to listen or am I going to sleep? Am I going to have coffee or water? I mean, there's all these decisions. What am I having for lunch today? Mmm. These are all decisions we're having to make. Those are no-brainers. There's going to be some decisions when people are asking you to get involved with something that you know may not be biblical or spiritual or good for you. Or help them with something that you know is going to destroy their life. Or your boss may be asking you to do something that you know is going to take away from your family time. But Pastor Mark, if I don't do this, then I'm going to lose my job. But if you do this, you might lose your family. You see, decisions have consequences. And it's the self-discipline inside of us that help us make those decisions. It takes a lot more character to have self-discipline and to do things on my own than have somebody telling me to do it. Do you understand? Nobody tells me every day that I have to wake up and love my wife. I want to do that. You see? Nobody's imposing this upon me. There's not a judge that says, we're going to review your family over the next 30 days and make some decisions. It's out of the abundance of my heart that I want to do this. But there are times that not only we as individuals, but we as a church make poor decisions. And it's because of a lack of self-discipline. And we have to see what the Word of God is telling us and what the Word of God is directing us to. Even the Apostle Paul was very much concerned about discipline in his own life. The Apostle Paul. Man, that's one of the guys I'd love to hang out with after a while. I'm going to spend time with Jesus when I get to heaven. But I want to seek out Paul. I like Paul. I like his writings. The man had bodacious faith. Okay, I mean, I really enjoy spending time with Paul. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 tells us this. Don't you realize that everyone who runs in a race runs to win, but only one winner gets the prize. Run like them so that you can win. Verse 25. Everyone who enters an athletic contest goes into strict training. They do it to win a temporary crown, but we do it to win one that is permanent. Verse 26, So I run, but not without a clear goal ahead of me. So I box, but not as if I were just shadow boxing. Rather, I toughen my body with punches, and I make it my slave so that it will not be disqualified after I have spread the good news to others. Now, why is Paul talking about this? Because the Greeks had two athletic events. One we're very familiar with, which was called the Olympic events, still continuing on today. But in the city of Corinth, where Paul was writing this letter to the churches, every three years they had the Ismithian Games. And these athletes that were to be in these games, this race, made an oath that said, for ten months prior to this race, I have been training. And for ten months prior to this race, I have abstained from foods that would hinder my training and help me with the endurance or, or and eat only foods with, that would help me in the endurance of this race. So the city of Corinth hosted this race every three years. They understood what it took to be an athlete. And what Paul was saying is, look, these athletes are training, but they're training for a pine wreath. That was their prize, a pine wreath. And what we're training for 
is something more than a pine reed. It's eternal glory with God. Being a useful tool in God's hands that reached and touched and affected the nation that we lived in. And then hearing one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Paul was saying. Look, you guys are understanding what they're doing in the physical. This is what I'm doing in the spiritual. Comprehend this. And if there is anything that Paul saw that would hinder his life, he stopped it. He was saying, you know what? Everything is allowable for me, but not everything is beneficial for me. Do you understand that? We go into alcohol. Everybody says, hey, a little bit of wine is, is good for you. And I agree. But I can't take alcohol. You see, because I deal with people who alcohol was, wine was the first step to their addiction to greater things. And they're downing quarts of vodka. So when they come over and I'm just sipping a little wine in front of them, I'm counteracting everything I'm trying to bring them out of. Do you understand? But to drink wine, there's no harm in it. It says, be not drunk with excess. But because I am trying to live my life for others, I abstain from it. Smoking. There's no scripture in there that says you cannot smoke. It will get you to heaven a lot faster, okay? But there's no scripture against it. But how am I going to train you or teach you or encourage you to quit smoking when I'm puffing in your face? It's kind of hard, right? Saying, well, you're talking about being able to do all things, but you can't do that. Well, this isn't about me, this is about you. You know know what I mean? That's what's turned people away from the church today. It's hypocrisy. So I abstain from these things because I'm trying to lead others to say, you can do this. But if I'm not doing it, then there just seems to be a lot of hypocrisy in that. And this is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying that if there's anything in his life that's getting in the way and the purpose of God moving in his life, he will do away with it. That is self-discipline. That is self-discipline. Because, I mean, there's things in certain people's lives that they absolutely love. It could be coffee. Oh, don't even go there, Pastor Mark. I mean, I'm not even myself without my first cup of coffee. Or it could be sweets. It used to be M&M's. I used to love M&M's. If you remember a couple years ago, I came against M&M's. I stopped. I rarely eat them now, and Kristen knows that. But, man, I could have eaten those every day. I could have had them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Not the regular ones, peanut only, okay? I just want you to know. The nut was healthy, okay? That was, that's how I justified it, okay? But I had to stop that because that wasn't healthy for my body. Consuming too much of anything is not healthy for your body. Whether it's caffeine or sugar or anything, overindulgence is not good. And so we have to realize that God, has, God says that He'll give you a long life, I'll satisfy you. I I plan on taking him up on that scripture. With long life, I'll satisfy you. But I've got to work in conjunction with him for that. Do you understand? God gives us free will to not only make choices whether we want to love him and serve him, but in our actions. And it's coming down to free will. So what Paul was talking about is he'll give up anything. He'd give up anything that would keep him from fulfilling God's plan. Every one of us Every one of us has asked probably in our lifetime, why was I created? In fact, my question has gone beyond why was I created. I've asked God now multiple times, God, why did you create me now in your span of life? 
why now? Is it the technology that I'm supposed to take care of and, and use for the kingdom of God? I could have been born in 1885 and been riding a horse around to different churches and talking to them about God. Or a gunslinger, one of the two. I watched True Grit last night, you know. But never mind. But God could have had me at any time. And why did He choose this point in life, this dot in His lifetime of eternity, to say, this is when I want Mark to be born. And this is the gifts and callings that I've given him. And this is what I'd like for him to do. You see, growing up, I didn't know that God had a calling and purpose for my life. In fact, the only thing, and I've shared this with you, is I told him what I wouldn't do. Please don't tell God what you will not do. Because you will wind up doing that first thing. I told him, I do not want to be a minister of the gospel. I had a real frank conversation with God. Some of you need to have those real frank conversations with God because he's a real God. And he answers real hard questions. And sometimes we shake our fists at God and say, why? But we're too angry to hear the response. Sometimes we question God, but we don't understand the full scenario of how he can work all things together for our good. So God intends to use you, and he made you with particular gifts and talents. But if there is no self-discipline, this is so important, if there is no self-discipline in your life, there will always be situations that will distract you from your calling. The Word of God tells you that each person has been given a gift and a talent, and that cannot be taken away. That's what the Word of God says. But why is it that we're not all walking in the fulfillment, including myself, why is it that we're not walking in the full fulfillment of our gifts and callings? Because of distractions. Situations that come up. Choices that we make. It's important that we understand that discipline is what we need the most in our world, but it's what we want the very least. As a country, we want to reduce our budget, but we don't want to cut spending. You, you see this, right? Nobody is voting more, more deficit. Nobody's out there. Nobody's raising their hand. I think we should triple the deficit. Anybody? Anyone? No. But when we say, okay, the way we're going to do this now is we're going to have to start cutting back. Oh, we don't want to cut back. Do something else, but don't cut back. We still want to spend $40 billion on the nature of a mosquito study. You know what mosquitoes are good for? That. That's all the mosquitoes are good for. I just saved the country $40 million or $40 billion. But no, we've got to study this thing. There's nothing good about mosquitoes or fire ants. I pretty much figured that out, okay? I'm going to ask God. Well, no, I'm not going to ask God. Do you understand? We want the results, but we don't want to pay the price for discipline. Our high school dropout rate, our divorce rate. Many of us don't have the self-discipline to see through the problems. We run from our problems, and we look for ways to get out. Proverbs 24.10 tells us this. If you faint in a crisis, you are weak. That's what the Word of God says. If you faint in a crisis, and I'm going to tell you, every person is going to encounter crisis in your life. I wish that I could tell you that once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that everything is going to be cupcakes and roses. It is not. There are going to be trials and tests and crises. And when those crises come in, the way that we decide to make the decision that we're going to stand on the Word of God, we're going to fight, or we're going to run, 
is the determination of our self-discipline. Do you understand that? Self-discipline is going to determine whether we stand or we run when crisis has come. So it's important that we understand. My second point today is why do we need to be disciplined? Max Anders had this, and I had to quote him. It says, only the disciplined ever get really good at anything. Only the disciplined ever get really good at anything, whether it's hitting a baseball, playing a musical instrument, making good grades, learning a trade or skill. Many people have ambitions that will never be realized because they have no discipline. Our Christian life is the exact same way. Dino did not get great at the guitar without self-discipline. It didn't just one day say, you know what, is this box with a hole in it, with strings, I think I will strum it. Wow, how great is our... It didn't happen that way. It was a process. Joseph right here is phenomenal in the musicians. Banjos, guitars, mouth harps, spoons. It comes through practice. To achieve anything, it comes through hard work. The body of Christ wants to be strong, but it hasn't done the hard work to get there. Do you understand? We want to be this phenomenal force in the world today, but we're not willing to pay the price. We don't want to really spend that much time in the Word. We really, I mean, we, we, we will put God on Sunday, man. We'll, we'll put God on Sunday, but the other six days are mine. And that's why the body of Christ is weak today. Because, man, we want to have it, but we're not willing to pay the price. So many people have talents and gifts and they'll never see the fulfillment of it because they don't want to pay the price. You can have a phenomenal voice, but if you don't practice it, you'll never be that singer. A guitar, a piano, the drums, the trumpets, the cello, the violin, beautiful instruments. Violin is probably one that if you do not practice it is the most noticeable. (laughs) There's not a lot of covering up on a violin. Do you understand? No matter if you're in a group... Bad violin is bad violin, period. There is no middle violin. But it comes through practice. I want to share with you real quickly about John Wesley. He was a famous preacher in the past. And he traveled on average 20 miles a day for 40 years. He got up at 4 a.m. and he preached over 40,000 sermons. He produced 400 books and knew 10 languages. And at the age of 83, he was annoyed because he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. And at the age of 86, he was ashamed that he couldn't preach more than twice a day. And he complained in his diary that there was more of an increasing tendency in his life to lie in bed until 5.30 a.m. And he was feeling guilty about that extra hour and a half at the age of 86. Man, at the age of 86, I'd say, you know, bless you, you stay until noon. Okay, i got teenagers that wake up at the crack of the noon. At age 86, sleep in. And I'm not saying that we need to take on that schedule. It's not by works that we are saved and, and we obtain favor with God. But when you realize that the passion of God says, I have so little time on this world, I have so much to accomplish, I am not going to waste it. And that's what John Wesley was saying. There is a calling and a purpose on my life. And if I have to travel 20 miles every day, if I have to preach 40,000 sermons, if I'm writing for 15 hours a day just to accomplish what God's called me to do, I'm going to do it. And that came through self-discipline. Because I'm going to tell you, probably during that time, there was a lot more than just a few times that he wanted to not get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. 
4 a.m. is not just a time you decide to wake up and spend with God. But it was through self-discipline. He knew the goal that he was working for me, for him, and whose he was. My third point was that what areas of our lives do we need discipline? This was this could have been a 50-point sub-point right here, but I narrowed it down to four. One, we need to discipline our minds to train us to think. Now, you don't hear a lot of preachers telling you, you need to start thinking. But what's happened in America today is that we are listening too much to preachers and we're studying so little the Word of God ourselves. We are getting spoon-fed from radio, TV, CDs, cassettes. You imagine here in America, you can be bombarded and not ever open your own Bible. And just everything that they're saying to you, oh, that, that's got to be great because, you know what, he's got a big church, so that's got to be truth. I'll tell you what, the Word of God tells about people that will have deceiving words for itching ears. If I started a sermon series, this whole year I'm going to teach you how to use God's principles to become millionaires and uh, get real estate beyond your wildest dreams, I could pack out this church. I bet I could have 500 people at the end of this year all wanting to know how to become millionaires and real estate through God's principles. And the moment that I talk about anything about self-discipline, the Word of God, carrying your cross... 499 of those new 500 people are going to be out the door. So it's important that we understand we've got to study the Word of God. We've got, there are times where you just need to take a Scripture and you need to read it and read it and read it. And when you think you're sick of reading it, read it a hundred more times. And say, God, what does this Scripture mean? And then start studying it. Now with the internet, you can type in that scripture and there are all forms of... Con- you don't have to have an extensive library. There is so much resource out there just on that one scripture. As Kristen was saying, get that scripture for this year and stand on it. And say, this is the year that this word is going to be fulfilled because God has spoken it to me. Not because some guy on the radio said this over the whole country. And there's nothing wrong with TV and radio preachers. But there are times that we have to have a discernment. We have to study the Word of God. So it's important that when we read 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Do you know what that word means, the word study means in that scripture? If you research the word study, it means to work hard at. So let me reread that scripture to you now that we know what the word study means. Work hard at showing yourselves approved to be God, to be approved to God, a workman that needs to not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Spending time with God. This year, right now, if you tune on TV, there are more diet commercials on right now than any time in the rest of the year. You know why? Because this is the one time we have an on-ramp of, these are the changes I want to make for 2011. This is how I'm going to make this year different than last year. I'm going to start working out more. I'm going to start eating less. I'm going to be feeding more poor people. I'm going to be clothing more people. I'm going to be a better driver. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better student. This is the time that we're making those decisions. So these diet commercials are just bombarding us with saying, Look, I lost 50 pounds in two days. They're not telling their dog ran away, but they're telling you, I lost 50 pounds. 
And we want that. But do we have the discipline to achieve it? That's the question. So we have to train our hearts to look for the truth and messages and not the entertainment value of a speaker. God's been speaking to my heart that, that this year is going to be a year where we have to discern the truth and not the entertainment value of the message. Do you understand that? Man, it is sometimes fun to go to some of these churches. They've got beautiful facilities. They've got huge campuses. And I mean, they can create smoke and fog in your worship service and they can do lights and they can do all of this. And the question is, when you walk out, did you experience God? Or were you entertained? Because if you were just entertained, well, great. But you can do that at the movie theater. I come to church to be around other people to encourage me to know more about God and to experience God. But then I take that feeling home and I say, God, today's Monday. I want to encounter you and experience you here in my home. Or as I'm driving to work, or as I'm walking down that school hallway, I'm bringing God into that school. And I'm saying, God, if there's somebody on this campus that I can be a blessing to, if there's somebody that I can give an encouraging word to, will you bring them into my steps? Wow. You talk about a whole new aspect of going to school or sitting in your cubicle wondering, why did God place me here? Why am I here? Why do I have to endure this? Why don't you start asking God questions yourself? And the questions are, instead of, why am I here, say, what do you want me to do today? And then start seeing the realization of why God has you in this place. Point number two of this is we need a disciplined moral character. And 1 Timothy 4.8 tells us this. Training the body helps a little. I'm a perfect example of that, okay? But godly living helps in every way. Godly living has the promise of life now and in the world to come. You see what the scripture is saying. Every, I'm going to tell you, if you watch ESPN, it seems like every day you see or hear of a famous athlete who trained and conditioned and buffeted their body and became a professional athlete, got a huge amount of money, and then went out and did a lot of stupid things with that money. This is that scripture. Man, all of this did very little. They didn't understand godly living. They didn't understand having moral or self-discipline. They're out there fighting dogs. They're out there cheating on their wives. They're out there involved in drugs and cocaine and alcohol. They're going through that money faster than the NFL can go through it. And the reason being is that nobody taught them how to have self-discipline when it comes to their moral values. They knew conditioning. They knew to get up at 5 a.m. to go work out for six hours. But nobody told them to get into the Word of God. Nobody told them how to worship God. Nobody told them that they had a purpose. Maybe God made you a professional athlete to give you a platform to reach the world for the gospel of Christ. But they didn't see that because nobody in their life was encouraging them to take those steps. My third point, and my most controversial one, to me was this. We need to discipline our speech. Not that I have a problem with this, but I'm going to tell you. In fact, I probably won't make a lot of eye contact on this one. But should Christians cuss, swear, profanity? And first I want to tell you that there is no scripture in the Bible that says, thou shalt not use the following words and just drop all of them. You know, the A-bomb, the F-bomb, the B-bomb, the G-D-bomb, every one of them. In fact, Austin and I check out all the movies I'm plugged in online. 
and you'd be surprised how many movies come out that we would love to go see. But if it has GD or some of those in there, we don't go see it. See, we have the technology at home to rent it, and it takes all the profanity out. But that means we have to wait probably a three, four, five, six months. It's been amazing, because I've been studying this, the amount of movies that are out today with the GD word in it. Seriously, unless you're watching Finding Nemo or something, it's not in there. And if they could have worked that out, I'm sure they would have. But it is amazing how it's coming into our society. How the F word is becoming common in our workplace and in our schools. Man, when I was growing up, if you used the F word, and you pulled that out of your pocket maybe once a year, and if your mom found out about it, okay, I did eat soap. You remember that Christmas story? I have eaten soap before. And it doesn't taste good. We don't do that anymore. Oh, that's so old school. Well, we got liquid soap now, that's why. But we don't eat soap anymore. So you say, is it okay since there's no scripture? Wait, there's more. Ephesians 4.29 tells me this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 5.4 tells me this. And there must be no, no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. You see, what happens is this. You can have a disciplined body. You can have a disciplined mind. But if you don't have a disciplined tongue, you're a loose cannon. The other part of our speech is telling everybody what we think when we want to. I told you I shouldn't be making eye contact on this. I'm so sorry. The point being is this. I've actually had somebody say, well, Pastor Mark, I really think that my gift is to be honest with everyone and tell them what I think. First scripture popped in my mind, Proverbs 29.11. A fool vents all of his anger, but a wise man brings himself under control. You see, we got a lot of people out there just telling everybody what we think. And man, that's our gift to God. That's our gift to mankind. Those are ugly shoes. You're too fat. You're too short. Have you ever seen a couple walk in the mall and say, you could do much better than this guy? Now, come on, some of y'all thought that before, right? Like, how did those two people get together? He must have money or something, right? Now, you had to think it, right? So we've thought those thoughts. How did that happen? Fortunately, we're not saying that. I'm praying to God that we're not saying that. And sometimes I say, God, forgive me of that thought. Man, that was so judgmental. Even there's times where I'll say something, I'll say, man, I've got to repent on that one. Because there was just something, we, one conversation led to another and there and another, and all of a sudden, boom, you're saying, it was like, wow, where'd that come from? We have to control our tongues. If you look, more damage can come from your tongue than any other part of your body. More damage can be done. More scriptures about the power of the tongue. The last point here is that we need discipline in arranging our priorities. And the problem here is in understanding what's important. I think today, as born-again Christians here, we understand that God should take first place in our lives. Matthew 6.33 tells us, but first be concerned about His kingdom and what has His approval and all of these things will be provided to you. 
We understand what God is wanting us to do. We understand that heaven is more important than earth. I hope you understand this. To me, heaven is more important than earth. I am here just temporarily. I am an eternal being, but I am here for only so many years. In fact, the Word of God says that my 70 plus years is but a vapor to Him. I have to also understand that people are more important than things. Now this is going against every self-help book that may be out there. But people are more important than things. The value of my life is not going to be what is willed to my children and my estates and my cars and my art and my collections. There's nothing wrong in having that. The most important thing in my estate are the people that will show up at my funeral and say, he always gave me an encouraging word when I saw him. He was there when my mother passed away. He was there in the hospital visiting me when I was going through that difficult time. That's what makes us outward focused than being inward focused. Because without self-discipline, you will be inward focused. It takes self-discipline to be outward focused. To say, I am here for a reason, and God, will you show me who I'm supposed to be a blessing to? Who I'm supposed to encourage with my words? It's not that we as a body of believers would have to argue that these points are important. So knowledge isn't it. It's giving it our time and our precedence in our daily schedules. As I said earlier, day by day, we select the things that are most important to us. We participate in the things that we choose. I'm going to tell you that you cannot participate in everything that is offered to you. You know that, don't you? I mean, do you guys get a lot of emails inviting you to do a lot of things? You can't give money to every person or organization that needs the money. Man, last night when Austin and I were watching True Grit, the old... John Wayne True Grit, which is good stuff. Okay, man, there was SPCA commercials showing me sad dogs and asking for this. There was another organization that came on asking me for this. You know, I can't give to every organization that's out there. I mean, I could give them maybe a dollar, but that's not going to change their world, right? There are going to be constant things that are biting for your attention, your schedule. You can't attend every ball game that's out there and school meeting and every church activity we've got to choose you can't read everything that's out there now you realize the amount of books especially with the internet so much especially if you're having a life and a family to spend that much time in every reading all the books so where does the Bible come into the precedent of all the books where does coming together as a church body come into our schedule of all the events that we can go to there are decisions that we have to make. And our maturity as Christians will be determined in our skill in selecting those. So in your schedule, here's what I'm challenging you to do. Can you start off each morning with just a time with God? You notice I didn't say how much time, because if I told you how much time, now that's becoming imposed discipline. Do you remember? Self-discipline is saying how much time you want to spend with God. Spending time in worship. Choosing the songs that you're listening to when you're driving to work. Choosing the TV shows you're bringing into your mind. These are all decisions, but could you just give God a few minutes in your morning and say, God, help me to make this a habit that when I wake up, I spend time with you. That's self-discipline in a spiritual nature. In closing... If we're ever going to mature as Christians, we're going to have to develop the self-discipline we need. 
But we've got to want to change. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever went on a diet because everybody else was going on the diet, but there was no real will for you to change? Have you ever tried to do something, learn another language because some of your friends are doing it, but there was no real will in your life to change? So I can stand up here and ask you, every day would you spend time with God, but until you say, I need more of God, things aren't going to change. And that's what I'm going to be praying for you this month. That what God wants to do in your life will become a need and a want in your life. That you will want to spend more time with God than you've ever done before. And you know what? It's coming from yourself and not from imposed discipline. Where pastor's saying next Sunday, how many of y'all spent one hour in the Word of God this week? Everybody stand up and did one hour. Everybody who did two hours stand up. Everybody, that would be shaming you into good behavior. And that is not based on love. Self-discipline is saying, encourage them to spend more time. Pray that they will become hungry and thirsty after more of you. Experiencing God in a new way. And that's going to have to come from a need within. You may say, Pastor Mark, I don't have that within me. I have tried, but I don't have that ability within me. That's where having Jesus Christ as your Savior... And the Holy Spirit in your life will help you overcome what your flesh is wanting you to do. I truly believe that it was the Holy Spirit that helped John Wesley get up at 4 a.m. when our natural inclination would be to spend as much time in sleeping as we could. But I'm going to encourage you. Would you start a brief, if that's your beginning point, each morning with God, reading a scripture, studying it, singing a song to Him, There's times where I sit down and I just imagine that God is just sitting in the room with me and I'm having a conversation with Him about my day, about what's happening in our family, our church, our country. But I only grow stronger the more that I put myself into that habit of doing that. And I'm going to tell you on your own, it's not going to be easy. But with God, all things are possible. I'd like to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what that means is by saying... God, come into my life and take over. Not only are we talking about your internal destiny, because as you've heard me say many, many, many times ago, we're not deciding right now whether you want eternity. You were already created for eternity. Where you're going to spend it is what I'm talking to you right now. Because one day, every one of us is going to breathe our last breath. And we're going to have the point to remember that we had choices to be able to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You see... We are born into sin. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. And if you read, what had to happen was that there had to be a shedding of blood through sheep for the atonement of sin. But Jesus Christ came to be the perfect sacrifice. And He died on a cross, sinless, to become the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And on that cross, He took our sin, our guilt, our shame our sickness and our disease. And he took that upon his body. And he died, and three days later, he came out of the grave with the keys of death in his hands. And one day we are going to breathe our last breath, and we're going to walk into a kingdom. Which kingdom we walk into is where you're choosing right now. I would love for you to come into heaven with me, where there is so much joy, so much peace, so much happiness. But you cannot get into heaven through good works. 
You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot stand on the religion of your parents. My parents were godly people, so I'll naturally get into heaven. Because even the Word of God said that there will be some that come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this and I did this and I did this. And He's going to say, depart from me, I know you not. Because all they did was they had a head knowledge of God. They never had a heart knowledge of God. So today I'd like to lead everybody in a general prayer. I'd love for everyone to say it. But if you said it and you mean it, tell somebody, today I gave my heart over to Jesus Christ. But it's only the beginning. It is only the beginning process. Then, spending time with Him in His Word. I love the book of Romans. Read the book of Romans. Look at the book of John. Look at Psalms and Proverbs. Great reading for new believers in Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you repeat this simple prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. Now if you said that, all of your past, everything that you've done that was ever wrong, the things that Satan would try to remind you of what you did was instantly deleted from God's computers. And when he sees you now, he sees you as the whitest snow that's falling out there right now. Because when we go out this afternoon and everything is white, that's the way God sees our lives. He doesn't see the sin and guilt and shame of our past. There's times we'll bring that up, but God's not seeing it. Now y'all are looking out there, aren't you? Huh? So it's like, Mark, would you just say the blessing, please, so we can dismiss? So if y'all would stand, I'd love to say a blessing over you. Also, I have a request today. Would everybody, normally I know some visit, but I want to get Nathaniel out of here as quickly as possible today. So would everybody help as much as possible to... Yeah, I told him it's snowing. That was my cue that it's snowing outside. So, Listen, I'd love to say a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.